0: Welcome. I'm glad to be here with you and I uh, feel like God's given me a message uh, and I hope to communicate it, uh, not just to your ears, but to your spirits. And so uh, I'm going to pray in just a second, but I want to describe to you two places that I go to often. Uh, one of those is really close to my house and uh, I pull my car up get out and I pull a hose out of a gas uh uh station element thing and plug it into my car and I fill up my gas with fuel, right? Now this gas station it's uh close to a King Super's so I get King Super's discounts to it. So if I spend enough at King Super's I get 10 cents off per gallon. It's very close to my house and I like going to it because of its proximity. But the problem is, is the gas machines are horrible. You push the button, you you have to enter in your pin, or you have to select what fuel you want, and it just, the blank stare from, from that screen back at you. It's so frustrating. This gas station is so old, but it's so close to my house. So I know if I'm about to run out of gas, I could actually walk there if I needed to, right? There's also a gas station closer to here, And it's connected to Costco. And I get to go there because I have a membership to Costco. And that's much cheaper gas, but it's further away from my house. My point is this. I know exactly where I can go to fuel up my car, to go get gas for my vehicle. There's another place that I go to very often. And it's right next to my neighborhood as well. It's a grocery store called King Soopers. And I go there, and I have that thing mapped out and memorized. I can go there and I can actually kind of shut off my brain for about 45 minutes and go up and down every single aisle and fill up my cart full of food, hopefully without my five children. But sometimes if they come with us, that's an adventure all in in itself. The other place that I go to to get groceries is that same Costco over here. You go there to get specialty items and bulk items and things that you don't ever really need. But once you're there, they end up in your cart. You will never be judged more than when you bump into somebody you know at Costco. Because they will make eye contact with you And say hello and make small talk. And during that small talk, they will glance in your cart and you will glance in their cart and you will judge each other, right? Here's the deal I know where to get fuel for my car, I know where to get fuel for my body. Food that gives me energy and life. My question today as we work our way through this message is do you know where you can find fuel? For your spirit. Because you should have multiple options that you can describe in detail. There should be places that you absolutely love and you can't get enough of it. And then there should be places where you know you can go there if you're out of gas. Where you can get there at a moment's notice and it might not be the place that you prefer, but it's the place of proximity closest to you. So, Heavenly Father, we come before you. God, we set our hearts and our minds towards you. God, we ask that you would open up our minds to understand your word. God, give us a rhema word today, something that's not just words on paper, uh, but something that you speak directly to each and every one of us, God. We desperately need fuel for our spirit. So help us understand where to go to get it and how to fill up. With you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you a couple verses out of Matthew 22. And I'm going to fly through this. So keep up, but they're in your notes. So if you need to refer back to them, you have them. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this this new series is called Burning Love. And this message is titled "Finding Your Fuel Source." I was in a village in Africa. I was in Zambia for two months when I was back in college, and we were in this village called Songway, and we were making bricks out of mud. And the process of that was that we would make the bricks, and then we would hop in the back of the missionaries' pickup truck, and we would drive out uh, into the fields and dig in the sand and fill the back of that pickup full with sand and dirt, and then we would ride on top of that dirt back into the place where we were making those bricks and do that back and forth uh, throughout the course of the day and make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bricks that would eventually turn into a church. And so it was on one of those trips where I hopped in the back of this truck uh, with some of the villagers and some of my team members and we slowly drove past the area where the pastor's wife was stirring the fire and she was sliding a big stick closer into the fire. She wasn't cooking anything. She was just keeping the fire Kind of burning a little bit, smoldering, and I looked across the truck at the villager as we bounced along, and I asked him this question because all of a sudden it dawned on me the ease of our livelihood compared to what they have to deal with in a village in Africa. I said, I said to this man, I said, "What happens if the fire goes out?" because I'm thinking they don't have matches or a Bic lighter and they don't have a Costco that they can run to and they don't have the what we have and he looked at me like well that's simple you just go to where there is fire and you carry it back and I have carried that with me I can't forget about that because God pushed the pause button on my heart and he said he said understand that not for the sake of kindling a fire one day in a village in Africa understand that for the necessity of your spiritual life and the health of your spiritual life. When you run out of fire, when the fire goes out, go to where there is fire and carry it back. So we're going to talk about that today and maybe land on that a little bit. But if you'll have that um, picture in your mind, we're going to go through three things that are in your notes about finding the fuel source for your love so that you can have a passion and a love and a burning desire for our Lord. Those three things are celebrating His benefits renewing your mind, and lastly, burning your ships. So when we celebrate the benefits, we're going to talk through Psalm 103. Let me read it to you. We'll break it apart. Psalm 103, it'll be on the, on the screen. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Let me ask you this question. Who's the subject in these verses? King David wrote this. Who's he writing this to? Right? Himself. And more specifically, his soul, right? So he is writing, really probably speaking it out, to his soul, he's saying, Soul, praise the Lord. Soul, praise the Lord. All of my inmost being praise the Lord. And then, verse 3, 4, and 5, as you go down from that, we tend to think, oh, now he's speaking to us, because he says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life, who satisfies your desires, and it's easy to think he was speaking to his soul, praise the Lord, O oh my soul, praise the Lord, on oh my soul, and now, remember, God does this, God does that, God does that. He's still speaking to his soul. So we're going to break that out in just a little bit. But, Let's talk about celebrating His benefits. How do we do that? Where do we find out about His benefits? In the Word, right? That can be a tool that you should never, ever walk away from, leave at home. You should have the Bible on access with you, whether it's through your phone or an iPad or a good old-fashioned paper book, right? Right? So, because in that is the secret to life. And let me, let me show you as we go through some of these things. John tells us that God is love. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that love keeps no record of wrongs. So as we remind our soul of our benefits that we receive from the Heavenly Father and we start to celebrate those benefits, one of those things that we can start off with is reminding ourselves that God is love. God loves us. We understand that, right? But when Paul says that love keeps no record of wrongs and we understand that God is love, then let me ask you this question. Why do you keep record of your own wrongs? Why do you beat yourself up about sins that you've already asked forgiveness for, received redemption for, but now those sins, those errors, those shortcomings, those bad decisions are holding you back from entering into a life-giving relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? If we raised our hands, we would say, me first, that there's sometimes where I think, man, I screwed up too much, I shouldn't have done that, and now God doesn't love me. But if I have humbly come into his presence, asked for forgiveness, and repented, repentance meaning turning and walking on the opposite path of what we used to walk in, so the sin that so easily entangled us, we bring it to our Heavenly Father, and he separates us from that sin, and then what does he do? Record it in a book? No, oh, Evan did this. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. And last Wednesday, yeah, well, I'm writing this down. That reminds me. That's what he did over here. And, he, and he's continually remembering our faults and our sins and our shortcomings? No. Because love keeps no record of wrongs, and God is love. Right? So why are you keeping record of your own wrong that's keeping you from life-giving relationship with the Heavenly Father? So if we're celebrating His benefits, then let's celebrate that one, that God is love, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Right? And then in Psalm 56, it says that He actually does record things. Do you know what He records? Your tears. Your tears, it says, He bottles them up and he records them in a scroll. So the image that this world portrays of God as being angry and frustrated with us, and the reason why some people won't even come into a church building is because they think that God is angry at them, you can communicate to your friends and co-workers and associates and say, no, 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 no. Once you've asked for forgiveness, God separates those things as far as the east is from the west. But he does remember one thing. He remembers... The pain of your process. And he bottles those tears and he records them. So when God is thinking about you, he's thinking about what you've gone through and come through to get you to this point. So our God is a record keeper, but he's not keeping the same records that we keep on ourselves, right? Psalm Isaiah 48. 49 says this He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. So when you feel like, boy, I just feel like I'm in a process right now. It doesn't necessarily feel good, this thing that I'm going through remind yourself that your process is not just a difficulty but your process is a polishing that you're becoming polished to be an arrow that he sticks in his quiver and then like a trained archer pulls it out and shoots you into the purpose that he has planned and prepared for you so if you feel hidden right now you're hidden in his quiver If you feel a little bit perturbed right now, it's because you're being polished to be the sharpest arrow that you can be. That same prophet in chapter 54 said this, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. He didn't say that no weapon would ever be formed against you, but he said no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And then Romans 8, as long as we're celebrating benefits, says that nothing can separate me from His love and paul four chapters later says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so if you're feeling condemnation that's a lie from the enemy who's trying to remind you of all the times that you failed and come up short and the enemy's trying to say you don't 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 you dare raise your hand and worship you know what you did And you say, yeah, and God knows what I did and He's already dealt with it and He's separated it from me and now I can praise the Lord because I've been redeemed and set free and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we celebrate the benefits that we find in His Word. Alright? So, there's another verse that I want to tell you. I should have put this in my notes because it's in Hebrews and if anybody has a hard time finding Hebrews... I feel for you because that's like, where's Hebrews? Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow, it is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart so what's sharper than a double-edged sword? God's word, right? God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword and it does what? it divides between come on i know it's not in your notes so i'll read it i'll read it again for the word of god is living and effective it's sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul spirit joints and marrow all right keep that in mind if you find hebrews you're more than welcome to underline that Or highlight that because here's what we need to do. We need to understand that we are made up of three things we're made up of a body, we understand that because we have triggers of hunger and thirst, pain for some of us, tiredness for some of us. We're made up of a soul, and we're made up of a spirit three elements make us up. Body, soul, spirit. And soul is made up of three other things. Mind, will, and emotion. Right? But Hebrews, the writer tells us that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit. Joint and marrow. Right? So, this is the battle that we fight every single day and we don't understand it. Because we have sometimes struggles in our life and we wonder why we are tempted a certain way, why we give in a certain way, why can't we just live a victorious Christian life? We understand these benefits, we understand that God is love, but yet our body, our soul doesn't respond to those things but the more word of God that we get into us we start to see a separation of those three things so there's some that still feel like just kind of I'm I'm confused I don't even understand what you're talking about and then there's some that are like I think I get that because there's a portion of me that loves the Lord and burns passionately for Him. But then on Monday, it's like, I've totally lost that part of me, right? And it's because the battle that you fight is waged between who's going to be in control of your life. Is it your body? Is it your soul? Or is it your spirit? Now, think about a person that you might know that is controlled by their emotions. They respond emotionally, whether that's anger, griping, complaining, uh, angst. Just they're just they're just very nervous all the time, or they say things that they regret later on. That's a person who their soul is at that moment dominating their spirit and their body. And so their soul, if, if it's in control, it starts to operate and just just go, boom, I'm going to say that. And then from that point on, if your spirit doesn't catch that, then the soul thinks, okay, I'm in charge, right? And then there's the body over here sometimes sends signals where it wants to be in charge. I want to eat this. I want to do this. I don't want to get out of bed. I want to participate in this. I lean towards that. Whatever it is. And your body starts to tell your soul and your spirit what to do. But your spirit has to gain control of those two elements of your life. And the way that you do it is by fueling and feeding your spirit. And if you can find a fuel source for your spirit, then the more you feed your spirit the more it becomes in control of your soul and of your body. Practical way to do that. Your body sends triggers and we respond to those triggers. You're hungry, so you feed yourself. You're thirsty, so you get a drink. We understand that from birth. We're sending signals, people respond to those signals, and we ourselves respond to those signals. Some are louder signal callers than others, right? Have you ever met somebody who's hungry and angry and they're hangry and you just... It doesn't matter. You, you can't talk to them. You can't talk to them until they get food. Some of you live in that family, right? Once we get food, it'll be okay. But right now, you know... But here's what has to happen. if If you're struggling and your body is dominating your spirit then your spirit has to speak to your body and train it until it understands my spirit is in control of my my body. Now, that's difficult because we live in a world that is constantly feeding our body and our soul, right? And we respond to those things. But fasting is a spiritual discipline that helps you put your body in submission to your spirit. So you say, hey, you know what? One day, this week, I'm going to skip lunch. And instead of skipping lunch, I'm going to read the Word of God and be reminded of the benefits that I have because of the redemption process at work inside of me. And lunchtime rolls around and your body's going to go, Hey, it's time to eat! And you're going to go, Yeah, it is. But it's time for my spirit to feed first. And so I'm going to wait until dinner to feed you. And so your spirit tells your body, no, 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 not this time. And you start by missing one meal one day of that week. And then as you grow and gain confidence, you're like, wow, I just told my body what to do and it responded. It wasn't nice. I didn't like it, but I did it. And then as you develop that in your life, you start to form habits where you go, you know what? I can feel an emptiness in my spirit And I can feel my body taking control of my life. And so I'm going to tell my body to get back in place. And so then you fast for a whole day. Or maybe for two or three days. And during that process, your body starts to look over at your spirit and go, Whoa, I'm not going to mess with that guy. I used to dominate him, and then he grew up. Got some muscles. Told me what to do. Right? Same thing with your soul. You get out of control in that ickiness type of feeling. Like, why did I respond that way? Why did I do that? Why did I just waste all of that time on something that I thought was going to satisfy me? And now it didn't. It left me just like, ugh. That's when your soul is like, gimme, 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 gimme. And your spirit has to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hold on a second. Let let me remind you of something. And you open up Psalm 23, and it says, He restores my soul. Because we live in a world that says, Hey, do this, and you'll feel better. Do this, and you'll look better. Do this, and you'll keep up with everybody. Do this. I promise you, your life will be totally different. Starting at 4.30 this afternoon... You're going to hear that, right? And your soul's going to go, Oh, I want that. Actually, I don't just want that. I need that. Hey, hey, I need that. And your spirit goes, No, 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 no. What I've learned is that there's one who restores my soul. And it's my Heavenly Father, the shepherd of my soul. Point number two is renewing your mind. Luke chapter 13 is a parable of the fig tree. It says this, And he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not you can cut it down finding your fuel source has everything to do with distinguishing between your body your soul and your spirit but within that element that we call soul, it's mind, will and emotions, And so your mind needs to be renewed so that it starts to pick up on the triggers that your spirit man needs to be filled up and your mind needs to be able to identify those fueling stations. Just like I know where those gas stations are that I can get to. Your mind needs to be trained that. But like I referenced, we live in a culture that is all about feeding your soul and treating your body differently than what the Word of God tells us to do. So, this afternoon, a 30-second TV commercial, 30 seconds, costs $5 million. $5 million. I have no comprehension of that. But I can deduce one thing. The world is in the business of trying to train my mind. It spends big dollars to tell me what I should think, right? And we stare at it, and subliminally, we get trained by it. Now, some of us have the Word of God in us enough to go, okay, that was funny, but that's not for me. But even that can sometimes be a little bit dangerous because the more of what the world tells us to think gets into us, it's easy to forget the benefits. And the less and less we get in the Word of God, the more and more we start to become conformed by this world. You don't have any other thing in your life that is spending that much money trying to train your brain. I wish that this campus was spending $5 million to train your brain. I wish, right? Because the things that would come out, it would be like 4D experience. It would be crazy. You'd be telling everybody about this church, right? Because your mind would be getting renewed according to the word of God. But this afternoon, we're going to watch the world invest in our mind. So my question is this. What are you investing in the renewal of your mind? See, that owner of that vineyard came to the vineyard talked to the vine dresser and he said look I've come for three years looking at this big tree and there are no figs on this tree let's cut it down plant something else in its place and that vine dresser said I understand give me one more year and I'm going to invest and dedicate my time to this fig tree and I'm going to do what I'm going to draw a circle around it and dig in the dirt. I'm going to get my hands dirty, and then I'm going to bring elements from the outside and invest into the fruitfulness of this tree. So my question is, are you willing to dig into the soil of your mind, get a little bit dirty to produce greater fruit? Are you willing to go outside of your environment... Make a purchase and bring fertilizer into the soil of your mind in order to demand fruitfulness out of your spiritual life. If your spirit man isn't bearing fruit, it's because it's in a battle for its life every day with your body and with your soul. In the context of this culture, that's a tough fight. So what are you going to do to invest in the renewal of your mind so that it will fuel a burning, passionate relationship with our Heavenly Father? Now, pressing pause for a little bit and having a little bit of a show-and-tell time. There's a chair and a table and a lamp up here with me. And Bruce was good enough to put this in his pickup truck and cart it from my house to here. And when he was in my driveway and we were lifting this into his truck, I said, you know what I'm going to talk about? And he looked at it and he said, yeah, I've heard that a couple of times. And I was like, yeah, I've told him a couple of times. But now I'm going to show him. Because I tell my kids certain things over and over and over again. And then at some point, sometimes... I have to show my kids something. And so I said, Bruce, I'm going to keep telling them and I'm going to keep showing them until they come back and tell me and show me. So if you'll join me in my study. This is my chair, my table, and my lamp in my study. And not every morning, but most of them, I wake up and I take this Bible, big, fat, study Bible that has Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and the thoughts of the heart because as the culture and the world come against me, I don't know about you but I need this. I need this at an exponential rate. You know that The average American I heard watches five hours of television every single night. When I heard it, I was like, no way, no way. And then they kept talking and they said that same average typical American reads one third of a book in a whole year, in a whole year, people. I could not believe it. I couldn't believe it. My mentor, when I was growing up, told me to read a book a week. I almost fell over. I was like, how is that possible? That was before I had kids. <laughs> I had all the time in the world. And he said, his mentor told him the whole that same thing, and he tried to make it a habit. I, I can't say that I've got to that point, but he did pour into me a love of learning and reading so what I do almost every morning is get into the word of God in a chair as I've created a space in my home but I don't do that naturally just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I was born with DNA that sucks me into this super spiritual word of God zone I'm just like you I fight with my body I battle with my soul and sometimes my spirit runs flat out of gas but that is just like that gas station and just like that grocery store I know where it is I know when I need to go be there and I feed on the word of God there and it fills up my spirit But in the morning, my spirit is like, all right, let's go read the Bible. My soul's like, yeah. And my body's like, oh, let's keep sleeping. Right? So my spirit goes, boy, I really want to read the Bible. And my body's like, what'd you say? and so my spirit goes alright I'll make you a deal how about coffee and my body's like coffee? alright and it gets me there do whatever it takes to get you there please do whatever it takes to get you there It might be tea, it might be coffee, it might be more of a lounge chair, it might be... Well, I I don't know. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm telling you to get in the Word of God and celebrate the benefits and feed on the Word of God and the presence of a Savior who died for your sins and wants to meet with you more than you ever dreamed of. And if it takes a cup of coffee and a chair, and a lamp to do that, then do that, please. I I got this mug in India. It was my birthday while I was in India. Some of you guys know Sabi, who comes to this campus, who took me over there. He found out that it was going to be my birthday, so he talked to somebody he knew, and he took a picture of me praying for some people out in a village. This is a picture of when... I got to preach to people, and when I first started talking, all the kids started laughing. And I looked at my translator, who hadn't yet said a word, and I said, What are they laughing about? And he goes, They've never heard a white guy talk. (laughs) And I was like, Oh. And on the back of this mug, it's Luke 10 The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field and so i sit in the morning and i drink my cup of coffee that reminds me that there's people in india serving the lord in a place where people have never heard the name of jesus christ And when I think that my life, or my day, or my circumstance is a little bit difficult, I look at this and I go, oh man, (laughs) I've got it so easy comparatively. But boy, I better keep the fire burning. Because I've been called, maybe not necessarily to a village in India, but I've been called to something holy. Now since this chair and table and lamp were here this morning. (laughs) I created a space at Starbucks. (laughs) So I got out of bed. My spirit said, you get up before you need to. My body said, no, you can stay. You can sleep. And I said, no, I want to make sure that I communicate this well and I want to go over this again, but I also want to just spend time in the presence of the Lord. You know that Jesus likes Starbucks? He's there almost every time I've been there. (laughs) Almost. There were a couple times. So, it could be your house. It could be a different place. You don't have to invest much. But you should create a space. I have a little portable speaker that I turn on and just set praise and worship music. And it sets an atmosphere. And then, I don't have time, but I brought over here um, some other books. And sometimes I'll read my Bible, and then a chapter or two of a book. But usually, I'm a night reader. Like, I'll I'll read books at the end of the day, and I'll I'll do it right to the point where I'm about to fall asleep. And then I shove the highlighter in the book, click off my lamp next to my bed, and I am, like, out. That helps me fall asleep. And so I've got, I've got a couple of books um, that I have that are um, men of God, some, some past, some present. Charles Swindoll, Jack Hayford. This one is a textbook. I have to read this one. But it's first century Christians who formed our theology and our faith. Grace Walk by Steve McVeigh. Working my way through that. And then some of you guys will recognize this one. The ladies in the room. This is Victoria's Bible study. I'm working my way through this because this is packed full of the Word of God that puts it in a practical way that helps me understand and think through and process through the Word of God so that we can do that. Now, why do I have so many books that are stacked and falling over and have highlighters in them? Because I'm the typical American and I would get a third of the way through a book and then get bored. And if I didn't have another book, I would just wait until Christmas to get another book. Right? But if I get bored with this book, then I put it down for a couple of days and I get this other book. And that keeps my interest because the subject and the matter is just a little bit unique. Does that make sense? This world is investing seriously into training your mind. Are you willing to invest in the renewal of your mind so that you can celebrate His benefits and understand what He's done for you? Point number three, burn the ships. We can have a burning love for God if we celebrate His benefits, if we renew our minds, and if we are willing to burn the ships. That term comes from the 8th century. There was a Muslim warrior that came up from northern Africa into Spain, and he had to cross the tiniest section of the Mediterranean Sea... In order to invade Spain, and he landed on the as as on the first of those many boats, and he climbed up onto a rock, and he watched the rest of his warriors land on that sandy beach. And then, once the last boat landed, he shouted down from that rock. He said, "Burn the ships!" And some of his commanding officers were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't know that we need to do that because how are we going to get back home?" And he said, we didn't come this far to think about going back. And I think sometimes we live in a culture that causes us to waver a little bit. Causes us to hedge our bets. Causes us to wear the badge and the label of Christianity like we wear that label that says, hello, my name is. And it works for us in some circumstances. But then when we get out of that meeting or that gathering... We take it off, and we can become anonymous because we don't want to necessarily wear our faith out loud all the time. We might lack confidence. We might think it rude. We have many reasons for that. James, in the first chapter, says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Our culture is noncommittal. In little things like being invited to a Super Bowl party. You might go, Well, I, I'll go there if I don't get invited to that party. We understood that in junior high and high school quite a bit. Well, you know, I hope I hope that this happens, but I'll kind of hold in reserve this. What we need to do is we need to start narrowing our options because a plethora of options allows us to be that way see we showed the Jesus film in the middle of Africa and people came out of nowhere and all of a sudden there were thousands of people watching this old movie on a rickety projector right they heard that noise they came walking from wherever their hut was But if I told you guys, we're going to show the Jesus film this afternoon at 4.30. (laughs) Right! Nobody's going to be here. Because you guys have other options. But sometimes the faith of those who are in simpler situations is stronger because they have a lack of options. So if you find yourself divided and wavering in your loyalty with God, start to narrow your options down. If you need to divorce yourself from the cable company, then do it. If you need to remove yourself from a circle of friends, if you need to remove yourself from a cycle of habit and influence, then start to say, no, not going to do it. I helped somebody that started coming to this campus and that person had come a couple of times and then I was able to have a conversation with them. They were vulnerable enough to communicate. Here's what I've been dealing with. And now I've found this and I'm feeling drawn to what you guys are talking about. And I very quickly said, listen to her story and said this. Three months from now, you can be totally anonymous to us. We will forget that you were even here. Or three months from now, you can be totally plugged in, connected, having life giving relationships in community here, and you will be well on your way to strengthening your spirit and being able to say no to your body and no to your soul. Put them in the right place in the proper order so much so that she handed me her phone and I helped to delete a certain contact out of that phone fast forward now three months later she's connected and growing and thriving in this place why? because she narrowed an option now when that person texts she doesn't even know blocked and deleted gone out of her life Narrow your options and change your approach. Think about, not today, but think about three months from now. Think about four years from now. What you're doing today is going to have a drastic effect on your life in the distant future. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador who gave his life trying to reach unreached people. People. He said this in his journal that they found after his death. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. That young man wrote those words in his journal. And what he wrote, he lived. And in an effort to reach the Akka tribe, They flew over the tribe. They sent gifts down. They dropped certain supplies. And then they finally said, we got to go down there and make face-to-face contact and hope for the best. And they landed a little plane on a sandbar on a river. And that tribe came out and shot him and his friends with arrows and none of them survived. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. doesn't sound like a great ending to a story of a man who was burning in passion for his Lord. But a couple months later, that happened in 1955. A couple months later, this magazine was published. Some of you may remember Life Magazine. And on the top here, it says, Missionaries Jungle Martyrdom, Diaries and Exclusive Photos and in here if we were to turn the pages open multiple pages detailing this story showing those events as people came to their aid after they'd lost contact and decided I'm going to go out and search for that team of young missionaries that article went all over this nation spread like wildfire sold out this magazine In all my research in recent years of studying the life of Jim Elliott, I kept coming back to quotes out of this magazine, and I thought, man, if one day I can find that magazine. And so I got it, opened it up, and let that story sink in. Because some of the people who read that in 1956 were college students at Wheaton College, where Jim Elliott had graduated from. And they started to realize what he had written in his diary and how he had lived that out in real life. And they said, boy, if he could do it, then I could do it. And it started a wave of missions that we still ride the crest of today. One man and a couple of friends who lit themselves on fire and said, God, I'll do it and I won't look back. I won't waver. I won't have divided loyalty. If you tell me to go, I'll go. And he did it. He ended up dying, and now the world is forever changed because of him. And nations who will never hear the name Jim Elliot have now heard the name Jesus Christ because of Jim Elliot. Because one man found a fuel source, not for his soul and not for his body. A man found a fuel source... For his spirit. And his spirit got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and started to dictate to his soul and to his body that I'm going to live this one life that I have passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. Because what he did for me is more than what I could ever do for him. So when your soul starts to tell you what to do, And when your body starts to complain, get over here and find that gas station for your spirit and start to go, no, 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 no. Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. Nothing of this world will restore you even close to what our Heavenly Father can do for you in an instant. And no matter what you feel like, no matter what you think holds you back, you are always and forever welcome into his presence. So bow your heads with me and close your eyes. We find our fuel source by celebrating his benefit, by renewing our minds, and by burning the ships. My question for you is this what is your ship? Where do you turn when carrying your cross becomes too difficult? What is your back-up and back-out plan? Have you chosen security instead of courage and faith? Have you chosen to remain anonymous instead of being contagious? Are you a Christian for heaven's sake, or are you a Christian for Christ's sake? Are you in this thing we call Christianity for the reward, or are you in this thing called Christianity for the relationship every weekend that I get to spend with you I sit on that front row or stand as we work our way through worship and before I take these few steps up onto this stage my prayer is simply this God let me be a spark because when the fire has gone out We have to go to where there is fire and carry it back. And maybe some today have showed up and the fire is almost out and we need to get ignited again so that we can carry it back, passionate, in love with our Savior. But maybe I can speak to just a select few and say this instead of going to where there is fire and carrying it back how about let's commit to being the place where others come seeking that fire so Heavenly Father we come before you God some of us are empty and in desperate need of being filled with your fuel God some of us our spirit and our soul and our body are clinging to each other, and there's no distinction and separation. And so, we call on the Word of God to be that sharp sword to divide between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and help us to find a distinction that would elevate our spirit over our soul and over our body so that our spirit can begin to dominate and command the direction of our life. God, I ask that you would help us to create a space, a sanctuary unto you where we can come and seek your face, find your presence, and celebrate all your benefits, God. Fill us up, Lord. Lord, we so need you we so love you and we praise you now in Jesus name everybody say amen, amen.